Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Tonight we are so grateful for the work that God is doing in our lives. Can you say amen? And now, the main event. Let's open up our Bibles. Favorite sound of a preacher is the sound of pages flipping. So we're going to turn tonight to the book of Nahum, chapter 1. Some of you did not know that was a book in the Bible. The book of Nahum, chapter 1. It is called one of the minor prophets, but he is in no way minor in his message. It is toward the end of the Old Testament. And uh, the scripture we're going to read tonight, there is a nugget of incredible value that I read as we are going through these final days of 2018 in the Bible reading program. And let me just mention once again that we are starting a brand new Bible reading program as of January 1st. I want to encourage you to join along with us uh, if you have not received an invitation in your Bible app already, then you can uh, make sure to see me before you leave tonight. I can get that to you. If you don't have the Bible app or don't use the Bible app, you can also get a printed version of this. And my prayer, my goal is that the entire church can join together in reading the Bible uh, through the entire Bible. Again, it's just a shameful statistic that George Barna discovered years ago is that only 3% of all Christians, only 3% of all people who call themselves Christians say that they have read through the entire Bible. That is a shameful, shameful thing, but let it not be so in this place. If that is you, then let's read it together uh, starting January 1st, and uh, if you will follow this plan, you'll get through the entire Old Testament one time and the entire New Testament two times. And what a great blessing that will be in your life. So the book of Nahum, chapter 1, if you had been through the whole Bible, you would know <laughs> that Nahum is one of the minor prophets. And uh, so we're going to read one verse here in the book of Nahum, chapter 1. And I want to remind you tonight the difference between a yapper dog and a real dog. <laughs> now, I have to be a little bit nice tonight because I have a brother and a sister who are yapper dogs. Uh, but have you ever been around a yapper dog? You know what I'm talking about? One of those little ones that uh, at any sign of, uh, of uh, danger or any noise that is strange, what do they do? Yap, 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 yap. And it makes me want to take them and go, Poof. but I don't, okay? A yapper dog and a real dog. At any perceived injustice, a yapper dog simply yaps. 
Now, let me ask you tonight, are you really afraid of a yapper dog? They are, as they say, all bark and no bite. Now, a real dog, <laughs> a real dog is one who is disturbed by true threats, and when they bark, you better watch out. Let me ask you, if there was, uh, if there was one coming from you, at you on the right side, there was a little yapper dog, a little chihuahua or something. And it was yap, 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 yap. And then uh, you look to your left side, and there is a, a Doberman pincher coming at you, going, hoo, hoo, hoo. which direction would you run? <laughs> of course, you would run away from the Doberman because he's not just all bark and no bite. He's got some bite. Tonight, in our scripture, we're going to discover what true power really means. And I want you to join with me tonight because if you are going to be a servant of God, then you're going to have to learn this lesson about who God is and who He intends you to be. We are going to find a, a single verse that powerfully describes the God that we serve and gives us an example of how we should live our lives as well. The verse tonight we're looking at is in Nahum 1, verse 3. Join me there tonight as we read this powerful scripture. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. Let me read that one more time tonight. The Lord is slow to sorry, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. We find here three facts about God that are in the title of this message, that He is patient, powerful, and pure. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. I thank You for the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank You, Lord, for Your presence here tonight. I pray that we would gain once again a revelation of who you are. And God, that these attributes that, that you have, God, revealed in your scriptures, God, that they would be real in this place and that they would be real in our lives tonight. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say. So tonight, once again, patient, powerful, and pure. And let's look tonight at this first incredible attribute of God, <clears throat> that the Bible says it like this, the Lord is slow to anger. Everybody say, slow to anger. Now, you might not think that this is uh, one of the more important parts of God's uh, character tonight, but you would be wrong. The Bible describes God this way throughout the scripture, uh, slow to anger, uh, over 20 times throughout all of scripture. And uh, this is, I believe tonight, a sign of his true character, that he is slow to anger. And aren't you glad that he is? This is one of those areas where we can definitely say that God is not like us. He is different than us because we are many times defined by our anger and not just the fact that anger exists, but that it comes so quickly. 
In fact, if you've had children in your house, small children, or you remember what it was like to be a child, you can remember very clearly that your children were definitely not slow to anger, were they? Like from the very earliest days of life, you bring that little baby home from the hospital. And what happens if you don't change its diaper? What happens when you don't feed it? What happens if you don't pay enough attention or put it in bed and, and, uh, and don't come in and get that child for long enough? You know what happens? They throw a fit. The only emotion that a baby understands is anger. And they are quick to it, aren't they? If your child does not get its way, it gets angry. And we have to spend our entire uh, parenting years trying to teach our children how to be patient. That is one of the primary goals of a parent, isn't it? Is to understand that little kid, listen, you can just wait. One of the most valuable things that you could teach your children is how to wait for something. How to wait for that toy. How to wait for that cookie. How to wait for that prize. Because you know what? You can't just go to your boss and throw a temper tantrum and say, give me my paycheck now. Does that work when you're an adult? No, because your anger doesn't really affect your life. The anger just affects your attitude. This is what we are like. Can you describe your toddler as slow to anger? Of course you can't. Because this is something that is pre-programmed into the sinful human soul. and We will fly off the handle at the slightest hint of grievance. I was curious. I started thinking about that when I wrote it, fly off the handle. I said, where did, where did that come from? And uh, I looked it up. and It comes from using an axe, right? Someone's using an axe, chopping some wood. And what happens? That axe head flies off the handle. Boy, what a perfect picture of many people. Many people who experience a grievance. It doesn't even have to be a real grievance. Only a perceived grievance. Pastor didn't shake my hand in church tonight. And what happens? They fly off the handle. Make a hole in the wall. Throw the dishes. Change everything. This is what defines humanity. Quick to anger. Quick to be upset. This is a grievance generation. This is a generation now that we are seeing that people are upset about things that happened hundreds of years ago and allow it to affect their lives. People are still upset about one culture dominating over another. Things that have happened many, many centuries ago and yet today still upset, still angry, still allowing it to change your attitude. That's not right. Quick to anger. What happens when you are quick to anger is that often you will react in ways that cause great damage and great harm to yourself and to others. What happens tonight, especially when people uh, are two people living together in the same house have short fuses, can be deadly. This is what defines humanity. But when we look at the Scripture, we find 
that we have a God, a Lord in heaven, who is not quick to anger, but is slow to anger. Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Psalm 145, verse 8, the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. I want to share with you some ways tonight that the Bible uh, shows us how God is so slow to anger. The first way that that I began to consider tonight, uh, the, the, the revelation of God's character to us in this slowness of anger. First of all, we see it in God's warning system. Did you, did you know that God warns you? Aren't you glad for good warnings in life? Aren't you glad that when you're driving, you know that there's a, there's a sign on the road that says 45 miles an hour, speed limit? I know you're all glad about that, right? You're all thankful. Because if you go more than that, if you go 55 or 65 or 85 on that road, you know what happens? It won't be long. You will not be long for this world. You're going down the freeway, and you see a sign that says, Warning, sharp turn ahead. Warning, aren't you glad for that warning? Somebody has gone down this road once already and figured out that there's a dangerous curve coming. I've been on roads... Places like Romania, it's coming down a mountain, and the road is literally like this, this serpentine shape, back and forth and back, and it makes people so sick to drive down that road, especially my mother-in-law. And we're driving down this steep mountain, and you know, if, if I was to try to go more than 20 miles an hour, we'd all die. We'd all fly off. Because at the top and at the bottom of that road, I want to tell you, there's a sign that says danger. Slow down. Danger. Aren't you glad for warnings? Can I tell you that God shows his slowness to anger by warning you about things? God gave you a conscience tonight. That conscience whispers in your ear, doesn't it? it says, ah, when you're about to do something, ah, hold on. Think about that. Be careful. Danger, Will Robinson. Warning, if you do this, if you say that, if you uh, enter into this place, it's going to be bad. It's not going to turn out well. And even if you don't know all the details, God shows his slowness to anger. You know, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to put a warning sign of your conscience in you. He could have just let you fly off the cliff. But he doesn't. He puts, an, he puts a warning there. Better not act like that. Better not cop that attitude. Better not show up to church like that. Black hole of self-pity. Better not continue with that, with that sin, with that bad habit. Aren't you glad that God gave us a conscience, like a warning sign, to get your heart right? His holiness tonight, God is so righteous and so holy, we're going to look at that in a moment, that He He demands justice. God is a good judge. A good judge does not let things slide. Say amen tonight. He doesn't let things just go under the rug without being punished. And that's why it is so good that He is slow to anger because there's a lot of stuff happening in our lives. With God, 
the wheels of His justice roll very slowly. God is intentional to give us warnings, to give us signs, to give us the little light on the dashboard of the car that says, ah, there's something wrong here. There's something. You need to take this to a specialist. You need to go see a pastor. You need to go to prayer because the warning sign is on. Something's off. God is faithful to do that. He convicts your conscience. Another way I've noticed that God warns you is He will speak with repetition. What that means is, when God wants to get a message across to you, He will... He will convey that message in a multitude of different ways. I've had it happen so many times in my life. I'll be reading my Bible, and I'll come across a scripture and say, hey, that's interesting. That's so, wow, that, that, that fits me right now. And then later on, I'll be listening to a song on the radio, and the same, the same uh, message comes through that song. And I'm like, wait a second, that was the same thing I read And then I'll be talking to somebody on the phone, and maybe even a sinner, and God will use a sinner on the telephone, and he'll remind me about the the scripture that I read and the song that I heard. Oh, God, you're trying to warn me. You're trying to tell me something. You're trying to remind me. Because many times, unfortunately, your conscience is not enough to stop you. God is giving you warning signs. Warning signs. Showing you. And you know why this is? Because often what we do is like when there's a noise in your car and you don't have the money to fix it. You know what you do? You turn up the radio. You ignore the warning sign. We try to put a little piece of black tape on top of the light so it doesn't shine in our face. This is what we do with our conscience so often. God is convicting you. God is showing you this is not right. That's why we come to church, isn't it? So that God can take that little black tape off of the light and and cause it to be a nuisance once again in your heart. But what we do so often is we let our conscience become seared. Am I the only one? The more that you put off God's conviction, the more that you push it away, the more that you ignore, your heart becomes so callous. The other day, uh, we were sitting in our house, and, and uh, my daughter uh, was looking at my fingers and noticed that, that the fingertips on this hand are different from the fingertips on this hand. And she said, Daddy, what's wrong with your fingers? I said, well, nothing's wrong with them. I've just been playing guitar for 15 years. Because when you look at these fingers on my left hand, those are the fingers I use to press those steel strings down on the fretboard. The first six months of playing guitar, can I tell you, my fingers were bleeding. Bleeding. Because I would wear that skin down almost to the bone. I just wanted to learn to play so bad. It was like the summer of 69, man. <laughs> and, and so now over time, little by little, what happens I press down there and the skin would get wiped off and then it would grow back. And then I, I would break it down again and it would grow back. And now, now I can press on those strings. I hardly even feel it anymore. If you looked at them now, the difference is obvious. I have on each tip of my finger a little spot. And it's so callous. It's hard. It's thick. 
So if I was to touch a little pin with this hand, I probably wouldn't feel it. I took that same pin and I put it on, on this finger. Ooh, I would feel that. So many times, you know what happens to our hearts? Our hearts become callous like that. God is trying to, to awaken your conscience. He's trying to remind you that your actions, your behavior, your words, your attitudes, that that's going to hurt. But when we do it so often and we allow it to exist in our lives, you know, we just think that God, I guess God just doesn't care. I guess that it's okay for me to keep sinning because it doesn't hurt anymore. Isn't that true? Do you remember the very first time you ever stole something? Or the very first time you ever told a deliberate lie? You remember how bad you felt? Or the very first time you ever smoked a cigarette or did a drug? or How, how guilty your conscience felt? And then do you remember the second time you did it? How a lot easier it was? And the third time? And the fifth time? And the twentieth time? Pretty soon you don't even feel it anymore. And because our conscience becomes seared, because... Our hearts are no longer convicted like they used to be. This is why God has to warn us with greater and greater strength. Sometimes a rebuke is necessary. I love you. You know why? Sometimes I have to correct you as a pastor. Sometimes children need to be corrected by their parents. Sometimes just a, a reminder is not enough. Sometimes God has to go to greater lengths. Why does God have to do that? Because he is slow to anger. Can I tell you, any step along the way, God could come down and bring his judgment and wrath. And he would be right to do it. The moment, didn't God give Adam a warning in the garden? Yes, he did. He said, if you eat of this fruit, Adam, you are going to die. But can I tell you? Adam took of that fruit, and he did not die immediately. God would have been right to strike him down and take the breath out of his life, out of his lungs. He would have been right to do that. That's probably what I would have done. But God is slow to anger. And instead of judging the man, what did God do? He came down and he began saying, Adam, where are you? Began searching for him began the process of redemption, began the process of clothing them, began to work with them again. And yes, there was consequences for their sins, deep and desperate consequences that play out to this very day. But God was slow to anger. Why is this tonight? Why does God reveal Himself as slow to anger and judgment? It is tonight because of His goodness. God is not only great, He is also good. Are you with me tonight? Romans 2 verse 4. Do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God is leads you to repentance. It is God's goodness that should cause you ultimately to change. We know tonight that we must change, that we must repent in order to stay out of hell, right? But can I tell you, that, that doesn't convert too many people. 
Let me show you the flames of hell and convert. Many times, the thing that causes us to be converted is when we come to the end of our sin and God shows us His mercy, His goodness. He says, I'll still accept you, even as messed up as you are. And that renews the heart, doesn't it? It is God's goodness that causes Him to be slow to wrath, to be forbearing and long-suffering. That's a good one for you to remember. God is long-suffering. Can you imagine how much you have caused suffering in the heart of God with your sins? Aren't you glad that He is long-suffering? 2 Peter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, but He is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you hear that tonight? That God's heart... Listen, there's a lot of people that I'd be done with already. It's a good thing I'm not God. There would be very few survivors left. Just the people that I like. Everybody else, get out of here. There are some people that you've given up on. There are some people that you would think in your, in your heart, in your mind, there's no possible way that God would ever have any kind of plan for them. God is long-suffering. He suffers long. His forbearance, His patience is beyond what you and I can imagine. Aren't you glad tonight? If I was king of the, the universe, I'd do like Thanos and snap. Just get rid of the people I don't like. But God is long-suffering. He suffers long. Now listen, here's the problem. Because God is slow to anger, often the way that we read that is that He's weak. Or that He is okay with sin. He is okay to continue, for us to continue in our disobedience against Him. Oh, I guess God hasn't judged me. There's been no fireballs that fell from heaven there's been no lightning bolts that struck me in the act of my wickedness, so I guess God doesn't care anymore. Do you suppose that that is true? We often translate this, the slowness of God's anger, we translate that into weakness. God is either weak or He is corrupt like me. But that is the furthest thing from the truth tonight. When you consider that your wickedness and God's slowness to wrath, as we put those two things together, then the only thing that you can come away from is that God is good. Now let's look secondly at this second trait that is revealed in this scripture. The Lord is slow to anger and He is great in power. It is not true tonight that God cannot judge sin. Oh, he could. And if you have ever seen the judgment of God in action, you know tonight that God is powerful. That He is able to reveal wickedness. He is able to judge it. He is able to deal with it. And He will uncover unrighteousness. 
But here's what I want to say about God's incredible power tonight. The power that He has to create the universe. The power that He has not only to create it, but to maintain it. The power that He has on the molecular level. The scientists, they look into their microscope and they find a nuclear energy. energy, The thing that keeps all molecules from flying apart and they can't figure it out. I'll tell you what it is. The only thing that keeps this universe together and in order and continuing to go forward is the power of God. We serve the God who is omnipotent. Omnipotent. That means He is all-powerful. That there is nothing that God cannot do. He is above and beyond what we think. How powerful do you think God is? Imagine it for a moment. Now multiply it by a million and still that is not how powerful God is. He is powerful. And what does He do with His great power tonight? His great power is revealed in His self-control. That not only does He have power over creation, but He has power over His own judgment. One of the fruits of the Spirit of God tonight, when you're saved, when you're right with God, is the fruit of self-control. Temperance in the old King James. Can I ask you tonight, do you have enough power to control your own stupid self? Can I tell you that self-control is something that should be growing as you grow as a Christian? Self-control is the definition of true power tonight. True power is not how much money you have in your bank account. True power is not how many people listen to you when you speak. True power is the ability to say to yourself, this is what I'll do, and then do it. Or this is what I will not do, and then don't do it. If you are lacking tonight in self-control, it is the lack of the Spirit of God at work in your life because this is the true sign, one of the true signs of God's incredible power that He withholds His judgment. God knows when to speak and when not to speak. He knows when to judge and when not to judge. He knows when to bring punishment and when to wait. This is something we can learn from tonight. I'm running out of time, so let's close tonight and talk about the last aspect in this Scripture, which is so incredible. Remember our Scripture, Nahum 1.3, the Lord is slow to anger, and He is great in power. Those two things seem like they don't go together, but they do. And finally, it says that the Lord will not at all acquit the wicked. In other words, tonight, God is holy. Everybody say holy. He will not allow the wicked to go unpunished, ultimately. Another word for that is purity. God is morally pure. He is righteous. He is just. This is perhaps tonight, if you could describe God with one word, you might say love, you might say purity, you might say gracious and loving, but I would say the most accurate, the most biblical way to describe God with one word is this. God is holy. 
above everything else. He is holy. That He will not altogether allow wickedness to continue. And that is a good thing tonight. It is a good thing. Because He is perfectly holy, He demands justice. And that's why His long-suffering and patience is so incredible to think about. Because at the same time, He is so righteous and so pure, but He withholds His judgment. You know what happens to many people when we see ourselves as righteous and morally pure? It's like those Pharisees, right? That Jesus condemned so often. The hardest group of people that Jesus condemned was those Pharisees. And do you know why He condemned them? Because when they looked in the mirror, do you know what they thought they saw? They saw purity, holiness, the way that they dressed, the way that they stood on the street corner with their extravagant prayers, the way that they would make sure everybody else knew how generous they were by giving in the temple and in the synagogues. And they said, we're doing better than all of you. See, what happens to us when we begin to see ourselves as morally pure and, uh, and uh, free from corruption, you know what happens to us? We, we become corrupt at the core. Only God can do this well. Can on one side be completely pure and holy, and on the other side be patient and long-suffering. See, what happens to us if we think that we have accomplished something, if we become something great, you know what happens is we begin to look down at other people. Oh, they, they need God. God, I'm so glad that I'm not like this ugly guy. Right? I'm so glad that you didn't put me in his shoes. That this sinner. So here's the God that we serve. Can I tell you tonight, this is why there must be a place called hell. Some people ask the question, well, if there's a loving God, then why does He send people to a place like hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and where the fire continues, continues to burn and where the worm does not die? That doesn't sound like a loving God to me. The truth is that if God is holy, if He does not acquit the wicked, it means there must be a place called hell. Do you know why? Because only in a place like hell can true justice ever be done. We here on the earth, we have a system of justice that we do the best that we can. It's very imperfect. We, uh, we can only convict someone when we have evidence that causes a jury to convict beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because that, that, that's, you know, we have a, a terrible justice system, but it's one of the best on the earth, Right? And that's because we are so limited in our knowledge. We're so limited in our ability to truly judge correctly the actions of other people. And we, in our justice system, we do the best that we can. And we, we have laws that, that, that determine how long someone's going to be in prison or how long or if they're going to get the death sentence or if, or if they're going to be life in prison. And we, we do the best that we can, but it is very, very imperfect. And we make a lot of mistakes. But God. God's judgment is perfect every time. And that's because He has perfect knowledge of every sin. Did you ever think about that? And there are some things that 
Our system of justice will never be able to punish accurately. There are some people who commit heinous and terrible crimes and never get caught. There are some people who rape and murder and steal and never, never face a single charge. How do you suppose that they will ever pay a price? That's why hell, places like the place like hell has to exist because he is a righteous and a holy God. Let me remind you tonight that with God's power, he also shows that he is pure. There will be no sin in his presence. Now we might think that yes, God is patient and uh, that God does not strike people with lightning bolts every time that we sin. And we think that that's an excuse. Well, it must be okay then for us to dress up our 11-year-old son and uh, take him to a drag queen contest. You know if you saw that in the headlines recently. I want to tell you there's a God in heaven who has perfect knowledge and who will bring perfect justice even when this world doesn't. I want to close with this last thought tonight. If God is patient, if God has power, and if God is pure, then those tonight are three places where you and I must become like Him. These are three areas that we all struggle with, isn't it? We struggle to be patient. God, I want your blessing and I want it now. Or we say a prayer like, God, I I want to be patient, and I want to be patient today. That's a very dangerous prayer to pray. God, give me patience. I prayed for patience once. I decided I wouldn't do it again. (laughs) Because God put me in the middle of a trial. And he said, okay, let me teach you some patience. Put me in the middle of a problem that took months to work out. God shows His love and His mercy, His goodness. He builds our character by teaching you how to be patient, how to suffer long. Boy, that's not what I signed up for, Pastor. It's a good thing they didn't put that on the application when you wanted to become a Christian. What must I do to be saved? You must be willing to suffer long because that's who God is. The greatest teacher of how to live as a Christian is to look simply at his character. Secondly, power. God is all-powerful. God is able to do all things that he wants to do. But his greatest power is shown is how, how he restricts himself. Think of Jesus on the cross for a moment as we're closing. Here's Jesus, and the Bible says that Jesus being in the form of a man, and yet he had all the power of the Godhead. If Jesus wanted to, on the cross, he could have had lightning bolts come out of his eye sockets and destroy them all. And no cross could have held him. No nails could have held him. If he wanted to, Jesus could have revealed his power on that day. And he could have come down from the cross and wiped them all out. Easy. No problem. One day, Jesus is going to do that. He's going to come back riding on a white horse And he's going to wipe out and decimate every enemy in one moment of time. He could have done that. But his greatest power was shown 
as he's hanging on the cross, suffering long, and refusing to let his power run rampant. He says, no, I'll suffer. I will, I will withhold. I will, instead of destroying my enemies, I will pray for them. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Do you have that kind of power tonight? Do you have that kind of self-control somewhere in you? Because I know I don't. God's still working on this fool. God needs to teach us true power, and that is power over ourselves. Finally, we need to learn purity. The purity to judge things rightly. That there is no sinner, there is no wickedness that God will not let slide. Even the wickedness that we find in here. It's easy to judge other people. It's easy to look at that guy across the row from you and name all of his problems. It's so easy to see other people's sins. That's another thing to look at yourself, isn't it? And find the areas in your heart that are still impure, unrighteous, and in need of God's grace. And so what do we learn from this short scripture? The Lord is slow to anger, great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. We look to ourselves tonight. Can you take a moment this evening and judge your own character? Say, there's wickedness still that remains in me. Now, I'm glad that most of you have already sprouted angel wings and ready for heaven. But perhaps someone in here can be honest and realize that I'm not slow to anger. I really don't have a lot of self-control. And there's not a whole lot of purity in the depths of my heart. Thank God for His grace, for His patience, for His loving kindness and long-suffering that even in the midst of your foolishness and sin and wickedness and habitual over the years failing to judge unrighteousness. Oh, but God is patient. He shows His goodness. The blood of Jesus that was shed to cover our sins and cause us to be righteous. The Holy Spirit which was sent tonight to cause us to live holy, to be set apart. Yes, God does not judge you the very moment that you sin, but He calls you tonight to live holy as He is holy. So, how are you doing? Can we be honest tonight? And we all need repentance, don't we? We all need to be more like Him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, 
love God, and love people. 